Good morning. Today on this Palm Sunday, as we celebrate the holiest week of the year, the week leading up to Easter, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together that commemorates the death of Jesus on our behalf. And in preparation for celebrating the Lord's Supper, I want to, uh, you to think with me for a moment about something that Jesus said while he was dying on the cross. The Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. on a Friday morning. Three hours later at noon, the, the sky became dark. Everything went dark as if creation itself wore black in mourning the death of the one who created it. There was physical darkness to match the spiritual darkness when Jesus bore the condemnation for our sins. And that darkness lasted for three hours, from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Jesus died at 3 p.m., and just shortly before he died at 3 in the afternoon, out of that darkness, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And his words were so poignant that Matthew recorded them in Aramaic, which was the spoken language of the day, the, the way that Jesus would actually have said them, and then translated them into Greek, which was the written language, which, which our gospel was written. So it's in two languages. And so in our Bible, the Aramaic is preserved, and then the English translation. So here is what Jesus said out of that darkness, just before 3 p.m., as he hung up on the cross, Matthew 27 verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting a verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 22.1. This is a quotation of Psalm 22.1. That's a psalm written by David at a time when he was harassed by his enemies and he felt alone and abandoned. And David is expressing his feeling of desertion by God. God, where are you? Why would Jesus quote that particular verse as he is about to die on the cross? Is it not because Jesus was experiencing the consequences of our sin as he hung there. You see, Jesus, in his death for us, bore our sins. He took them upon himself. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took the, the curse the consequences of our sin. Galatians 3.13 says that God redeemed us, Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. So here's what's happening. Jesus is taking the consequences and the curse of our sin. What's the curse of sin? Well, it's death. Well, Jesus is dying physically, and so... When we sin, physical death came into the world, so he's dying in our place. But there's even more to it than that. Because sin has not only physical consequences in that 
yeah, all of us die now, don't we? Because we're, we're sinful and our, our race is, is all dying. But sin has spiritual consequences in that when we sin, we're separated from God. Let me read to you an Old Testament verse that expresses that in, in Isaiah 59, verse 2. It says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So when we sin, it has a physical consequence of death, but it has a spiritual consequence of alienation from God, that we're separated from him. Jesus, just the night before he died, was talking to his disciples about separation, and he said, you're going to leave me. He was trying to prepare them. You're going to leave me. I'm going to be alone. But he took consolation in the fact that, that God would be with him. Let me read to you John chapter 16, 32. This is just the night before. And Jesus says, a time is coming and in fact has now come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. You'll leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. Took consolation that everybody else is going to leave me, but the Father is going to be with me. But now, less than 24 hours later, Jesus is saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Is he not experiencing the alienation from God that you and I deserve? He's taking not only our physical death, he's taking our separation from God. In other words, to say it another way, the consequences of sin is physical death, and it's also spiritual death. That's hell. Hell is eternal separation from God. It's when you say, I don't want you, God. I don't want you, God. I don't want you, God. And so God finally lets you have his way, your way, and it's eternal separation. I think Jesus is going through hell for us. He's experiencing the alienation of sin. The infinite Son of God is bearing eternal hell in a moment. Experiencing all the consequences of our sin. Feeling the abandonment from God that should have been ours. Because he took the curse for us. Now let's dig a little deeper. When Jesus is saying this, is he feeling that or is that actually happening? In other words, did God, the Father, actually turn away from the Son as He bore the wrath and the judgment and the consequences of our sin? And if that's what happened, how in the world do you understand that? Because Jesus is fully God, right? So how could God turn away from God? Martin Luther said something like that. It's told of Martin Luther, the great reformer, that, that he looked at this verse for hours upon end, sat staring at it, wouldn't eat. Finally, he said, he got up and said, God? Forsaking God? No man can understand that. Is it that God, how could God the Father be turning from God the Son? There's no separation in God. And yet... There's a distinction in the persons of the Trinity because the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and the Father's in heaven, the Son on earth. If there's spatial distinction, could it be that there is still, although the unity of the Trinity, that somehow the Father 
turn from the sun? I don't know. Deep water right there. But we think about it because here's the depth of the love of God for you. That Jesus would bear hell, alienation, separation for you. There's something else to consider. Could it be that Jesus, as he quotes Psalm 22:1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it be that he not only quotes that verse, but the rest of the psalm? Let's look for a few moments at Psalm 22, uh, Psalm 22 because it has amazing parallels to the crucifixion of Jesus. So much so that David, as he's describing his experience of, of feeling alone and abandoned, amazingly prophesies the crucifixion of Jesus a thousand years before it happens. Let me go through some of these verses in this psalm and you see this. In Psalm 22, I'm just going to pick out some. Psalm 22, 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. The exact same words were said of Jesus as he was dying on the cross. Verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They said that very thing to, to Jesus. Why doesn't he save himself if he's the Savior of the world? And then verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. The Bible says that after Jesus had said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I thirst. And they brought him something to drink. And the Bible says he said it that the scripture might be fulfilled. Could it be that Jesus got to this point in the psalm as he was quoting it and then spoke those words in fulfillment of it. And then the next verse says, verse 16, Psalm 22, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me, they pierce my hands and feet. Isn't that an amazing verse? Uh, hundreds of years before the Romans even invented crucifixion, David is writing, they pierce my hands and my feet. And verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And so the soldiers who were guarding Jesus did just that. They divided up his clothes. There was one piece left, the big coat. They didn't want to tear it, so they gambled to see who would get the last piece of his clothing. And then after these amazing parallels, there's a turn in Psalm 22 at verse 19. But... But, but, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. And verse 22 turns to look at the, to the future. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. That I would have a future and a purpose. And verse 24 for he has not despised or to scorn the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You hear the turning in this psalm. In verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember. And that's what we're doing here today. We're remembering 
we're remembering this great act of love and sacrifice. And that's what Psalm 22 said would happen. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Would you turn to the Lord today? Would you see the depth of his love for you and what he's done? And would you remember and turn your heart to the Lord today? And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. There will be from all the families of the nations of the world people who believe this message and bow their knee to King Jesus and declare him Lord. And verse 30 says, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And here it is today. Our future generations telling again this wonderful story about the Lord. And verse 31, last verse in the psalm says, They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. The Gospels tell us that after Jesus said on the cross from the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just a few moments later as the darkness lifted and Jesus said, I thirst, in order to fulfill the scripture, he said that. And then it says in Matthew that he cried out in a loud voice, a final cry, And John tells us the words of this cry are, it is finished. And it sounds very much like the ending of this Psalm 22. He has done it. And could it be that Jesus, as he went through this psalm on the cross, got to that climactic point after he had said that all the ends of the earth will bow before him and posterity will serve him and they'll proclaim his righteousness. He has done it. It is finished. And that cry of victory, Jesus yielded his spirit and died. I don't understand all of the words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't Don't know how to plumb the depths of that. But here's what I know. You should never doubt that Jesus loves you. There'll be times in your life, like David, when he wrote this psalm from his own experience, there'll be times in your life when you're tempted to wonder, is God there? Maybe you're going through a time like that right now. Maybe you've gone through a divorce and you feel the aloneness and separation. Maybe some things have happened in your life that you just have lost confidence and and joy in life. There's a depth here that will give you a foundation. Don't ever doubt that Jesus loves you. He took the experience of abandonment from the Father for you. He bore not only the pain of physical death, but he bore spiritual death. He went through hell so that you do not have to. And because he felt separation from the Father, you can know that you are never separated from the Father. And I leave you with Romans chapter 8, Verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know why you can have that great assurance that through trials here on earth, through your experience of death and into eternity, you're going to be with Jesus. You know why you can have that assurance that nothing will separate me from the love of God? Because Jesus cried out, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? He took that separation that you would never have to wonder if God loves you and is with you and is for you. And so today we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we bow our hearts before him and we renew our love covenant to him who took hell for us that we could be forever in the love of God and with the Father. I want to invite our deacons to join me here at the front. We're going to serve the Lord's Supper. And uh, the Lord's Supper is a, an experience for believers. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ and follow him in a baptism, we're so glad you're here. We just ask you to, to uh, observe and to contemplate this. We, we welcome you. If you are a believer and you're from another church or visiting with us today, we certainly welcome you to share with us in the Lord's table. It's a preview of the coming meal when we're all going to be together forever in heaven. Our custom is uh, that uh, we'll pass out the bread first that represents his body, and we invite you just to hold on to it, and we'll eat it all together after everyone's been served. And then the same with a cup of juice that represents his blood, we'll pass it out and you can hold it, and then we'll uh, 